0: Welcome once again to Leto's Law. Here's Steve Leto. Here's one of those headlines you don't hear every single day, but when you hear the headline, you go, well, but I guess I can see how this could happen. Federal judge seizes control of Mississippi jail. Now, when people seize control of a jail, you often think about like some kind of riots or something. It's a federal judge saying, you know, I think I have to take over and take control of that jail. Michael Goldberg wrote this for the Associated Press. And the judge who did this was citing severely deficient conditions at the facility. And you got to understand, jails aren't nice places to hang out. But if one gets so bad that a federal judge says, I got to take it over, you got issues. U.S. Southern District of Mississippi Judge Carlton Reeves recently placed Hines County Raymond Detention Center in Raymond into receivership. The judge will soon appoint an expert known as a receiver to temporarily manage the facility in hopes of improving its conditions. So basically, it's, it's, it's a lot like bankruptcy, where somebody takes control of something. and says, OK, here, we're going to run it to try to straighten this mess out. After ample time and opportunity, regretfully, it is clear that the county is incapable or unwilling to handle its affairs, the judge wrote. Additional intervention is required. It is time to appoint a receiver. The judge said the deficiencies in supervision and staffing led to a stunning array of assaults as well as deaths. Seven individuals died last year while detained at the jail. County officials said they're still digesting the order and are determining whether they will appeal that, according to WLBT-TV. Yeah, good luck with that. The appeal for the uh, federal judge would go up to an appeals court. (laughs) We're probably going to look at that and go, gee... If you got in the radar of that judge and he ruled this way, there's issues there. Now, federal and state judges have ordered receiverships or similar transfer of control for prisons and jails about eight times, according to experts, one of whom is Hernandez Stroud, an attorney at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law. The details governing the receivership will be decided by the judge. What this receivership order looks like is totally within the court's discretion, he said. What powers to give the receiver, how long the receivership should last, those are matters that the judge will have to figure out. Reeves wrote in his decision that the facility's staffing levels are particularly egregious. And the weird thing about this is, I know a lot of people, when they hear me describe something that happens in court, and a court makes a decision, a lot of people say, Steve, is that judge an expert on jails? Like, does does that judge actually know so much about running jails that he can look at a case and go, oh, that jail's being run poorly. I'm going to appoint a receiver. And of course, the answer is probably not. But what judges do is they have cases in front of them. And in the case in front of them, if the judge has questions or the court has questions or a jury will have questions at a trial, they bring in experts. And are there experts in this country on jails? Yes. Are there experts on prisons? Yes. Are there experts on detention? Yes. Yes, there's experts on everything. So you can find somebody who's going to say, I'm an expert on that. Explain to me how you're an expert on that. Well, I studied this in college. I have a master's degree in that that I got from college. And, and then I worked in the system for a while here. Then I worked for a system, you know, in, in, for a while over here. And then I became a consultant and consulted for these people. And then I was brought in to fix this problem. And then I, and I fixed that. And then, and then I can show you all this stuff to show you why I'm an expert. Judge will go, okay, you're an expert. Explain to me. And then, of course, there's going to be people on both sides here arguing. But the party that brings in the expert will then say, okay, Let's now explain to the court what the problems are here. So, for instance, a jail. Let's just talk about a jail in general. How big is the jail? How many people does it house? How many square feet does each person have? How, for instance, how many people are using each toilet? I mean, this is stuff that might not be pleasant to think about, but that's all stuff that there are going to be basic criteria. They're going to say, oh, for a jail to be humane... It must allow for the following things. Now, some people are going to say, Steve, I don't care about jail. Why should jails be humane? If you're in jail, you've already made a mistake. That very well could be true, although keep in mind that some people are detained in jail before their trials, uh, or they get arrested and are detained for a while before they're released for whatever reason. But we've also seen pictures of jails in other countries. And if you haven't, Google jails in other countries, and then look at the photos, and you'll see people... Packed into jail cells that are more packed than, like, say passenger trains in China. If you've seen those, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google passenger trains in China and <laughs> see what that shows you. And you'll go off on a wild goose chase. But the point simply is that there are standards, and these standards have to be at some bare minimum, okay? And so this judge has said, not only do they not meet the standards, but it's egregious. So we're going to take a look at this and straighten things out. So it has partially to do with staffing levels. Staffing levels. That's a number. How many people are there working at any given time in this prison or jail? How many people? Okay. I mean, there's going to be somebody in charge of the jail and then a bunch of workers. How many are there? And then how many people are in the jail? What's the ratio of people in the jail to the people who are overseeing them? And so on. Persistent shortcomings in staffing and supervision embolden gangs and encourage the prevalent circulation of contraband, including narcotics and weapons. Jail staff continue to receive inadequate training regarding use of force, such as the use of tasers. There's another interesting statistic. So you get the guy who runs the jail, you put him on the stand, CV takes the fifth, put him on the stand, and then ask questions such as, uh, you ran the jail in the year 2021, yes. How many weapons did you uh, seize from prisoners? That is, prisoners had somehow gotten these inside the jail. How many of them? And these have some number. How often does this happen? Has anybody been injured by one of those things? How many people have been injured? How bad were the injuries? Again, these are all numbers. He also wrote that cell doors still do not lock and a lack of lighting in cells makes life miserable for the detainees who live there and prevents guards from adequately surveilling detainees. So first of all, cell doors that don't lock in a jail, and again, I'm going to go way out on a limb on this one, but I think the standard for a jail in America is that the doors should be capable of locking. You might unlock them from time to time. There might be times you let people walk through them or leave them unlocked, but there probably does come a time where you need to be able to lock them if need be. Now, again, out on a limb, I've learned everything I know about jails from Andy Griffith, so I don't know so much about locking those doors. But the lighting, the lighting, and now you might say, Steve, come on, Are we have to give these people like, you know, professional lighting like you might have in a studio or something. No, I'm not saying that at all. And I've actually known people who spent time in jail and they say the weirdest things will affect you. For instance, there are some places where they leave the lights on constantly for security. So they can walk by and look in the cell and see what's going on in there. So if they turn the lights off, they can't see in there. So a guy comes by and shines a flashlight in there. And of course, he shines it right in your eyes while you're trying to sleep. But the point is that lighting is an issue. And the question is, during the day, is there adequate lighting, for instance, to read? Maybe you want to read. You might say, Steve, prisoners shouldn't be allowed to read because they're in prison. They made mistakes. Um, What if they're preparing legal documents? Shouldn't they be allowed to read? I I would think there should come a time where there should be enough light for them to read. But again, I could be out on a limb on this one. He also said the guards sometimes turned to sleeping instead of manning the cameras in the control room. So, again, this is the allegation, but the judge says he found this probably as a matter of law, that there is a control center with monitors on it. We've seen these on TV. (laughs) There's a guy who's sitting there, and by doing this, he can see what's happening in many places. So instead of having one guy standing at each place, You have a camera at each place. As long as the cameras work, you can watch all of this with one guy. It saves people. Well, it turns out that the guy who does that often falls asleep. And you might say, Steve, that's his problem. He shouldn't be sleeping on the job. Unless, of course, he's overworked because there's not enough staff in the jail. That's a possibility which you'd have to get to the bottom of, right? The idea these guards are sleeping while they're supposed to be watching these monitors is a problem. And the judge's decision comes months after he agreed to scale back the county's 2016 consent decree with the federal government to address unconstitutional conditions at this jail, along with two other facilities that comprise the jail system for the county. So we've got to now unpack this and understand how this happened. Back in 2016, the feds accused this county of having a jail system that didn't meet constitutional guidelines. Now you might say, Steve, the constitution doesn't address jail conditions. Not specifically, no, it doesn't. But it does address things like due process and like basic human rights. So the idea that your jail is inherently unconstitutional, it's actually a pretty low bar that you've failed to clear. So in 2016, when the feds first looked into this, which of course is six years ago, uh, the county said, okay, we'll straighten that out. We'll enter into a consent decree. And a consent decree is a judgment of the court. It has full force of a court order. But the parties have agreed to its terms. So they may have been adversarial at one point, but they sat down and said, we agree to do this. Go ahead and enter that decree. We'll abide by it. Here we are six years later, and at one point in time, the judge said that he would scale back some of that. But the problem is that we're kind of here now. So the judge says, you know something? This ain't working. This ain't working. He's going to appoint a receiver to run the jail. And so what that means is that the jail is run by the county. The county is a subdivision of the state. So you have the state entity there. And the federal court is appointing somebody over that. So whoever was running the jail before is now second in command. Someone above them is now going to run the jail. And they're going to run the jail and straighten all this out. And of course, the question then becomes, if straightening it out costs more money, who's going to pay for it? And that might be the problem, because we always talk about the political will to do something. Once in a while, something will come along where enough people go, we demand change over here and we'll pay for it. Okay, so if our taxes have got to go up to make the local school better, people might get on board with that. Taxes have got to go up to fix this horrific piece of road, we might get on board with that. But you might not. I know of some neighborhoods near my house, where the roads are horrible. The roads are utterly horrible. The worst roads in the county, I know where they are. They're in a subdivision. And I met somebody who lives in the subdivision. And I will admit that I did not even think of this, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'm going to tell you. I met this person, I said, oh, you live in that subdivision. I said, those roads are horrible. She goes, yeah, I know, I know. I go, don't you guys ever complain to the County about it, a township? or She goes, no, we're an HOA. (laughs) Another reason not to like HOAs. Uh, It's a homeowner's association that runs that subdivision. And the HOA owns and controls the roads that go through this HOA. And I didn't know it was an HOA. I knew it was a subdivision and it had a name out front, you know, like a sign up front for the name of the subdivision. And I've cut through there many times riding my bike or running And I'd always thought to myself, oh, it's just badly kept roads. They must be just real low on the priority list for the township or the county. No, it's an HOA. And to fix those roads, they'd have to agree on a special assessment. Special assessment probably requires a vote of some sort. And if it's a vote of the board and it's unpopular, you're going to have a special election to oust some board members. And it requires a vote of all the homeowners. The ones who don't want to pay an increase are going to say, no, we don't want to fix the roads. We just drive slow. So those roads get worse and worse and worse, but I'm saying that that's like a microcosm of what can happen in a community because if you go to this county, the county budget's probably already blown, and you tell them, okay, you guys need to raise more money to bring your jails up to code. Talk about something that's not going to get a lot of groundswell support because people say, well, I don't care about the jails. I don't plan on going there anytime soon, and I haven't had any friends in there for a couple weeks. (laughs) but that's the problem federal court can order you to bring it up to standards and if you don't well they can disband the jail then what do you do and we've heard of weird situations where things like that happen where they have to like contract it out and keep their prisoners the jail one county over which is a mess also so it's a crazy story and it came from the associated press but a federal judge has seized control of the Mississippi jail. Michael Goldberg wrote the story. Questions, your comments, put them below those to talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. Yield to temptation. It may not pass your way again.